0: Welcome to the Energetics Exchange Podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts. Please note that the information and commentary in this podcast is of a general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular individual or business. Listeners should not rely upon the content in this podcast without first seeking advice from a professional. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Energetics podcast series. My name is Mark Asberg, a principal consultant with Energetics, focusing on electricity contracting and decarbonisation. Before I go any further, and in the spirit of reconciliation, Energetics acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. There's no doubt that electricity markets across the entire country are in the midst of a profound transformation with ageing coal and gas-fired generation leaving the market and being replaced by large-scale solar and wind capacity. The pace and scale of this change has and will continue to be rapid with various ambitious state targets further accelerating this change. As an example, we have in New South Wales, 12 gigawatts of renewable energy capacity and two gigawatts of storage by 2030 Queensland and Victoria both have 50% renewable energy targets by 2030. South Australia has a 100% renewable energy target by 2030. And Tasmania has a 200% renewable energy target by 2030. There are going to be many challenges as we seek to manage all of this additional generation, often generating at coincident periods of the day. Just Sunday, a couple of weeks ago, back on the 22nd of August, between 12 and 1pm, we set a new record for minimum operational demand. At the time, instantaneous renewables contributed around 57% of total generation across the NEM. Linked to this, and and also a couple of weeks ago, we had Origin announcing that they expected to turn off generation units at their Araring power station uh, for extended periods of time. So this is the largest coal-fired generation station in the mix. Um, and they are needing or needing to do this, uh, they say, to keep their generation business profitable amid a flood of cheap renewables. So it's in this context today that I'd be, I will be leading a discussion on the implications of all this additional renewable energy. Are we going to have too much? How can generators continue to make a return on their investment in such a market? And what is the value of storage moving forwards? Joining me today is Gilles Valgenwitz, Energetics's Head of Energy and Carbon Markets, a close observer of Air Australia's energy transition for many years now. Hi, Gilles. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Mark. Hello, everyone. And I'm also joined by Anita Stadler, the Head of Renewables Investment and Energetics. Anita, have we got too much renewables? What a great problem to solve, Mark. I
1: thought a couple of years ago when uh, the Abbott government was in charge, we'll never get there. (laughs) Unfortunately, I wish that was enough. As we will probably discuss today, we haven't arrived yet. So uh, looking forward to to talk to you and Jules today.
0: Um, It's a fascinating space to be working in at the moment. I just see in the last sort of Q2 in spot markets, if I focus on spot markets, we had this combination of generator outages, the explosion of Calide Power Station, the flooding at your lawn, and increasing wholesale gas prices, we actually had one of the highest price Q2s on record. What stood out to me when you looked at this um, high price was the amount of volatility that was focused on the morning and evening peak periods, and prices during the daytime hours actually remained quite suppressed. I know from a recent AEMO report that I was reading, spot prices during the middle of the day in Queensland through Q2 of this year were actually below zero for nearly 30% of the time. And That's right in that period where you have all that coincident solar generation. Starting with you, Anita, what, what have you been observing as the impact of the increasing penetration of coincident renewable generation in all the work that we've been doing with renewable corporate PPAs? Thank you, Mark. Uh, It's more than just increasing penetration of coincident renewable
1: generation. You also need to consider the relatively low or at best flat levels of demand. These drivers combine to gradually erode dispatch-weighted average prices. Consequently, we observe a downward trend in run-of-plant renewable PPA prices to compensate the buyer for the decreased value of the spot prices they are expected to receive. Beyond financial PPAs, corporates are also exploring ways to increase the utility of their renewable energy hedges. However, they will also find that many retailers do not attach significant value to additional generation in the middle of the day, even if there is a good correlation with the corporate buyer's load shape. The middle of the day is when most negative price events are observed and expected to occur with increased frequency. However, given the resource mix in each state, the time periods and magnitude of this trend will vary across jurisdictions. You called out Queensland earlier in your introduction. However, if we just look at Q2 2021, there's been an increase across the NEM from 4% in Q2 2020 to 5.1% over the same period this year. Tasmania has also been called out with 6% of the volume in negative price territory during Q2 2020. In contrast, with much of the NEM, negative prices were between 1730 in 2030, due to the dominant wind generation profile in that state. Luckily enough, the financial impact of these negative price events is still subdued. In Queensland, for example, during Q2, it was $1.30 per megawatt hour and in Tasmania only 50 cents per megawatt hour. This is because when prices move into negative territory, they seldom stay lower than minus $100 for prolonged periods of time. Nonetheless, There's an increased risk of the frequency of these events occurring and the events may start becoming more prolonged. This requires more accurate self-forecasting and sophisticated bidding capabilities from the generators that are participating in this market.
0: It's clearly a lot riskier than it ever has been for a renewable developer to just be taking merchant spot exposure with that increased frequency and duration of these negative price intervals. Gilles, what do you think generators can be doing to avoid getting caught up in that spiral of lower PPA prices and merchant revenue?
2: Well, Anita just highlighted the increasing covariance risk due to the high dispatch of coincident viable renewable energy generation. And in, in this context, what we are seeing is that some generators are reassessing their revenue strategy. So beyond the sale of a generation following or run-of-plan contract for difference. Uh, the question is whether uh, these generators could sell uh, firmer products and, and getting a greater value for such less risky product from the buyers. And if so, what is the right mix of power generation assets or contracts for them to enter into to reduce their own uh, market risk? So I can talk here about the ability to offer long-term renewable energy uh, flat swaps or shaped off-take agreements. Uh, to better align with an off-taker's own load shape, for example. Uh, So such arrangement uh, provides added value to a sophisticated buyer seeking to improve the utility of our power purchase agreement as a hedging instrument. So, um, examples would be, let's say I am a large industrial end user with a relatively constant 24 hour, seven day operation could be more attractive for me to mm-hmm. enter into a renewable, um, off take agreement with a constant volume rather than a, a run of plant arrangement. Uh, even so the, the strike price will obviously be, be larger, but this gives me a, a much uh, easier, um, hedge, uh, to include in my overall, um, contracting strategy for my load. Uh, this added value with lower volume risk can be sold by the generator at a higher price, more in line, I would say, with standard exchange traded or over-the-counter uh, firm electricity contracts. With the cost of energy uh, being expe- expected to decline in an energy-only market, the value spread uh, between uh, generation, uh, following uh, standard financial services, a constant volume PPI or a shape PPI, and even more so a load following swap, is expected to um, to increase. Um, so the more um, I would say covariance risk you have, um, the more um, attractive it would be for me to uh, purchase at a premium uh, a flat swap or a load following contract rather than a generation following contract. So having said that, the ability for a renewable energy generator to offer such product requires a portfolio approach to project development and management rather than an asset-specific approach. So you can offer such firm product with a combination of assets, risk management instruments, of insurance products, but it could be risky for you to offer such a flat swap based only on one asset or even even one technology. Let's say, um, as we experienced, um, when was it in February two thousand twenty. Uh, in Texas in the ERCOT market Uh, during, um, I think it was nearly five days of um, um, extremely cold SNAP that Texas experienced. You had gas pipelines that were not available um, and gas is an important fuel in in, in Texas. You had a number of um, um, wind turbine generators uh, that were not weatherized and were not able to operate during this Extreme weather conditions, and on the other hand, that what they've done in in Texas, that they had a number of wind, wind generators were selling uh, basis um, hedges, p99 hedges, and, and therefore we're taking the volume risk but not being able to to dispatch when actually the the, the market was at at the cap of nine thousand US dollars per per megawatt hour. So they they lost um, you know equivalent of um, nearly I think one year of expected revenue in a matter of five days. Wow. In Australia, we have seen um, some uh, renewable energy generators leveraging retail electricity license, adding firming capacity, such as open-cycle gas turbines, to their portfolio to offer load-following retail products. We are also seeing, um, when we tender ourselves or behalf have our clients, we can see some generators offering firm products with no volumetric waste being offered, um, and especially flat blocks, but by a mix of wind, solar, and and battery storage or deep storage. So in summary, Mark, I believe that as an alternative revenue strategy, we will see an emergence of long-term base and peak renewable energy swaps supported by portfolios of renewable energy and firming assets being proposed um, in the market.
0: It really sounds like dispatchable capacity is is what's gonna be needed to unlock all that additional value. That's sort of the missing piece. But we've got this, at the moment, we've got a a market, an energy-only market, which really only rewards that energy sold. So it doesn't, to my eye, it doesn't look like you have the long-term investment signal that you need to promote more dispatchable capacity being built. Anita, um, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that long-term investment signal and what's there for dispatchable capacity.
1: There's no doubt that, as Jules pointed out, that uh, the given the current market design, that the signals is rather muted for long-term uh, investment in capacity. However, there's, there's definitely signs uh, that this will change. But more importantly, I think it's a recognition that transitions are always challenging, and it requires forward-looking organizations to invest in new capabilities and skills to actually flourish in, this, in new and in emerging markets. So no doubt I agree that you need to balance the the hedging benefits with the hedging costs at all times if you were to develop uh, structured uh, and firmer products to offer the market. Um, however, if you invest in, in short and long-duration storage assets or, as Jules has also talked about, uh, using uh, gas as a firming kind of a generator, it will actually open up new markets for renewable energy generators in the time. And I think there's there's strong signals that these markets will become much more lucrative. Um, as the designs of the post-2025 market starts um, emerging. So this is particularly important if you start moving towards more of a portfolio-level construct, which is also uh, increasingly, I think, necessary for renewable energy generators to survive, to optimise their revenue. And I think, therefore, I, I do believe that it's very important to invest in these new capabilities. It's not only the physical capabilities, but also people's skills uh, to optimise the revenue and to actually minimise cause of pay charges as well, which is increasingly something that generators need to deal with. It's no more a market where they can sit back and just dispatch.
2: So we've been um, using uh, portfolio performance evaluation methods um, ourselves Energetics, to support some of those um, renewable energy generators interested in you know, reviewing their um, off tech strategy and uh, portfolio construct. So. Yeah, the idea is to, to allow um, renewable energy generators to assess generation investment and risk management instruments targeting a specific off product. So when doing so, we take into account the risk return trade-offs in the spot and the forward markets, as well as the, the risk tolerance of the specific renewable energy business that they are um, into. Uh, so we consider technological and geographical diversity when, when doing this type of analysis. For example, which mix of wind, solar and firming capacity to consider, where to ideally locate this capacity to get complementary key of, of the generation profiles that you get, depending on the zones you, you invest in or you contract with. Uh, we assess net short and long positions, residual spot exposure, and possible risk management instruments to reduce such residual spot um, exposure. Therefore, we gauge the hedge benefits or the hedging benefits against the cost as um, Anita just uh, flagged uh, a few minutes ago. So addressing your specific comment, Mark, about the increasing value of firm um, dispatchable capacity very clearly, uh, the ability to firm intermittent generation through aggregated demand response resources, a uh, storage capacity, being battery storage or pumped hydro energy storage, or the support of uh, gas-peaking capacity is fundamental, in my view, to manage such, such transitions. So this support can be provided directly within your own portfolio or contracted with a third party. One of the key questions in, in my view that we will I'll respond soon is whether we will have some competition in firming services in the future or end up with quasi-oligopolistic um, position with a small, small number of providers such as Snowy Idle, for example.
0: I mean, it's clear that governments and uh, AEMO are seeing the importance of dispatchable capacity in the mix. I know just uh, a few months ago, we saw the New South Wales government announce a new 100 megawatt battery, which was going to be built in the Riverina to support its, its own retail electricity contract on a 10 year term. The contract I know is the second biggest in the state um, and the numbers are, I know they're larger than your average contract. You're looking at 1.8 terawatt hours, a $3.2 billion contract value. But I just can't help but suspect that it gives us an indication of the general future direction which retailers and generators are, are looking at when they're constructing their portfolios into the trying to future-proof their portfolios. So, Gilles, what advice would you give to a generator looking to to future-proof their portfolio, given the significant changes and the challenges that we're expecting across the NEM over the coming decade?
2: Well, the first short-term option potentially is to lobby against the ESB market design <laughs> options. <laughs> um Let's start to be uh, more realistic now. Uh, So, we know that the the long term uh, investment signals for um, new power generation capacity in an energy only market will not be sufficient due to decreasing value of energy in the market with increasing penetration of low marginal cost renewable energy generation. This is nothing new, and it has been, uh, you can find extensive literature on the limit of an energy only market. To support new generation capacity investment when you have higher and higher penetration of viable renewable energy. So, at a high level, to address what we call this missing money problem, uh, we could allow um, higher scarcity pricing uh, than the current market price cap at $15,000 per megawatt hour. A move that we know is critically uh, risky. Yes. Uh, except if you start saying, well, you know, we cap what the retailers can charge to the customers, but then you end up with potentially retailers going to liquidation we could set up a permanent strategic reserve, basically paying coal-fired generators to mothball rather than shut down, which is not probably too different what we've seen in in Germany um, happening to support, especially the um, coal-fired power stations in in the eastern part of Germany. Once again, politically risky and not really efficient as a non-market mechanism, I would argue. So, alternatively, we could set up a parallel capacity market and the Energy Security Board is currently pushing for such, uh, I would emphasize a decentralized capacity credit market, not, not um, a centralized one similar to the, the WEM in reserve capacity market in WA. And such uh, the expectation is that such decentralized capacity credit market would allow generators to claim credits as a function of the firmness and dispatchability of the assets and retailers to acquit the obligations related to the load that they sell uh, during system peak by purchasing such credits. So if such capacity market mechanism is put in place through an expansion of the Retailer Reliability Obligation Scheme, uh, renewable energy generator uh, that would have invested in firming capacity would be able to consider generating revenue from both the energy and the capacity markets, without talking here about revenue from the frequency control and services market or other system services that we are likely to see marketed in the future. So when seeking to future-proof renewable energy generation assets, which I think you us your question Mark, yes. there is therefore a clear interest for firmed uh, portfolio. The question is then whether to own the fast response firming dispatchable capacity or whether to contract for it. Uh, we could spend more time talking about the key challenges and implications of uh, such decentralized capacity credit market but it's probably best to keep this to another forecast. i um, just thinking about the yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Any um, final thoughts from you, Anita? Mm. Um,
1: I think regardless of whether or not we have a capacity market, the, the bottom line is that renewable energy developers will need to become more sophisticated in managing their portfolios in order to maximise returns and minimise risk. Mm-hmm. In this regard, scale matters, not only in in asset management, where we believe that generators that retain their portfolios and grow their portfolios will be better able to compete in these markets that are emerging, but we're also seeing collaborative models emerging that will support an innovation in the management of risk. For example, aggregation of models for non-energy services and over-the-counter market for financial products specific to renewables, to back products, we believe will become much more common. Um, but that will require renewable energy developers to to grow in their
0: sophistication to be able to interact with these products and to up- manage their risk accordingly. Thank you both for joining us today. It's really been a fascinating discussion. Uh, there is a lot here that we can unpack if we had more time, but a few key, I guess, takeaways for me. The first one is really that for renewable generators, straight merchant exposure will become increasingly risky and generators will require sophisticated forecasting and bidding capabilities just to be able to optimise their revenue strategies. There's also clearly an opportunity for renewable generators to further reduce risk and optimise returns by taking this portfolio approach that we talked about rather than an asset-specific approach to managing their renewable energy assets. And the last one is that integrating storage into such a portfolio approach could help uh, future-proof the investments by giving them the opportunity to sell firm electricity derivative contracts rather than straight spot market exposure. To our listeners, if you have any questions or comments relating to our discussion today, please don't hesitate to contact us through the website or your Energetics account manager. Thanks again energetics exchange podcast conversations with energy and climate experts